Hello, City Hope. Hope you're doing well. It's good to see you this weekend. Thanks for being with us. I want to say a big thank you to our entire pastoral staff, our worship, media, creative people, all of you that served last weekend for making Easter weekend a phenomenal weekend. Thank you so much for all that you do. And we give our team, of staff, our worship team guys a big hand. And I love it that we just come right back the next weekend and we're worshiping the risen Lord. <laughs> yeah, it's not just one Sunday, it's every day. Right? All right, okay. Everybody good? Good. Well, I want to begin a series called Too Good to Be True. Um, I want to tell you why, okay? Because I think it's important for you to know why we're speaking on grace and why this message is a message of the hour for us. Several months ago in seeking the Lord about what to do at Easter, the simple word came to me. Uh, many of you made comments about the message, but here, here's what the Lord said. He said, I want you to elevate me. And if you listen to the message, that's what I did. We elevated Jesus Christ. Coming out of that, it was, I want you to explain grace. Because, see, there's a saving grace and a sustaining grace. So I want you to explain grace. And, I, and honestly, that's like, well, why? Because usually coming out of Easter, it's a good place to track this direction, that direction. And so, I, you know, I just ask why. And, and this is basically what I got in my spirit. Um, I, I hear God different than most people, but this is what I received. Is a, just look around. Look around at how many people don't know the grace of God. And even, at, even those who are believers, they don't understand grace. Look at how many believers live with a sense of shame and condemnation. Or they live in a fear of failure. Or they live under this performance orientation that, that was driven into them or perfection driven. Or even a father wound. Or even living discouraged and depressed because they can never measure up. So I want us to understand how amazing grace really is. Now, years ago I heard someone use this illustration that grace is like the oars on a boat that we are in the boat and there's a current that's pulling us away from God and God has provided these oars, his grace and if we keep rowing, we will get to heaven. That's the way some talk and think about grace that if we quit rowing, we miss heaven. That, that's not amazing grace. That's amazing you. And just so you don't know, you're not that amazing. None of us are. He's that amazing. So before I get into this, I'm going to ask a couple questions for you to ponder. You, I don't want you to answer these out loud. This is not group participation. So listen, I want you to answer a couple questions before I go into the message. One is, do you believe that after death, every human being will spend either eternal existence with God or eternal separation from God? Here's another question. Do you believe that we're all sinners at birth and we're all in need of a Savior? And if so, then if you believe there's a heaven and we need a Savior, what really qualifies us to enter heaven? So over the next few weeks, I'm going to attempt to answer this question, Grace, is it too good to be true? Because we must know the answer to that question because grace does seem too good to be true. 
but it's not like the Nigerian email. I, I don't know if you've ever received this, and maybe, maybe you have, and it doesn't have to be from Nigeria, but I'll just give you that. I've gotten, I've gotten this one. I get all kind of stuff, you know. You know and, and it tells you in this email, Dear Pastor, I mean, it's like they got my name. Dear Pastor, uh, I'm Prince so-and-so from Nigeria. My family recently required $12 trillion and from oil reserves, and our government will not let us take these funds right now unless they come from the United States. Therefore, if we can deposit... $12 trillion in your account for 30 days, then we can get them back to Nigeria. And for you doing this, the trouble you're going through, we'll let you keep 10%. And all we need is access to your bank account. That, that's it. <laughs> Listen, that's too good to be true. Uh, in fact, that, that's called a scam, and uh, don't reply to that, okay, or any of them like that, okay? Many of us grew up hearing this statement. So I'm going to let you finish the statement. It's going to tell how old you are because all the young guys probably have never heard this statement. But we've heard this statement that, you know, uh, basically it goes like this. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Most of the time, that's a correct statement, right? Come on, all you people that are mature, you've grown, you, you know, you've been, oh man, get into this, do that, do this. And this is the deal. No, it was too good to be true, right? That's the case unless you're talking about grace. Grace, is it too good to be true? Now, I'm going to start in Acts 20, and I'm going to read a summary kind of of the Apostle Paul. It's kind of near the end of his life. He's headed to Jerusalem, so I want to point out one thing here. In verse 22, and now, compelled by the Spirit, that's a capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city that the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying of the good news of God's grace. So what is the task of the greatest apostle to live on earth? The the task was to testify of the good news of God's grace. Now, most of us know the word gospel is from a Greek word, and it means good news. If you dig a little deeper into that word, you'll find the meaning of this Greek word is good news or good tidings that seems too good to be true. Yeah, they knew it then too. Because you see, it's really, 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 really good news, and and, and so you're going to, it's so good you're going to find it hard to believe that is true. And yet Paul said the preaching of the gospel and God's grace are inseparable. They're one and the same. He says this good news that I have for you is the gospel of God's grace. And most of you listening to me, you've been in church most of your life. You've heard hundreds or maybe thousands of sermons about grace and about salvation. But listen, for me, and I grew up in church, but for me, it wasn't until I heard and understood the message of God's grace that my heart was changed. And by the way, I was in my 40s when this happened. My heart didn't change in there. It's not the gospel of God's law. It's not the gospel of the angry God. It wasn't the gospel, it's the gospel of God's grace that really set me free and, 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 and helped me understand my need for a Savior. And listen, grace is simply, I'm not defining it, I'm just telling you what it is. I'll get into definitions later in the series. Grace is simply unmerited favor. In other words, you're getting something you don't deserve. The ideal of grace, the fact that God is doing something for us that we don't deserve, that we get what we don't deserve, watch, is only unique to the Christian faith. It's the only one. 
All other major religions in the world put the burden of responsibility on the human being, not on the God that they worship. So God sent Christ because he decided, I'm taking the burden. The responsibility of your eternal destination is on us, the Trinity, not on you. And that's why that there is a wrestling match going on in our minds because this sounds too good to be true. But what, this is what the Scripture teaches. This is what Jesus said. And let me tell you how it affected the Western culture. In 1546, a man named Martin Luther started the Reformation. It was changed all of Western civilization. He studied and he found, and God spoke to him out of Ephesians 2, where he developed this 95-page thesis that he nailed to the Catholic Church door in Wittenberg. But I want to take that same text and I want to break it down. So in Ephesians 2, verse 4, it starts like this. But because of his great love for us, now, it's really hard to read, read the rest of it if you don't catch this. The, the, point, the point is, you've got to catch this, everything he's going to say about salvation, redemption, eternity has one motive, his great love for us. Let's go back and read it again. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, verse 5, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, and it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now what I just read, here's a question, and it may be a trick question, so don't answer it because you're going to go back to your 7th grade English and you're going to try to figure this out. Is, the pa- is this in past tense or future tense? I'll answer it for you. It's in past tense. In other words, it's already, it's already been done. It's already been done. So watch the next verse. Verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And here's the verse that we all know. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. So Paul's writing this. He knows that the reader of this scripture, we're wrestling, we're having this wrestling match in our minds, and here's what we wrestle with. It, 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 it's, it's, so, it's so good. It must, there must be something we're required to do. Surely we've got to row. We've got to row, row, row our boat. Surely there's rowing involved. But he said it's a gift from God, not of works, so no one can boast. And by the way, you do have a license to boast, but don't boast about what you've done for God. Boast about what God has done for you. And let me tell you what to boast about. You boast about your story. You have a story. You were here. You were there. You were living this way. This happened. That happened. And God did this. And God orchestrated that. And God took me and sent his son. And God did this and all that. That's what you boast about. But you can't boast about that unless you catch grace and understand grace. But isn't it ironic that the only religion about grace has always had such a problem excluding people? Yes, even the first 30 years of Christianity, the biggest argument being waged over a group of people wanting to keep another group of people out of their church. We don't want the wrong kind of people in our church. It reminds me of the pastor that he pastored, actually pastored in South Florida, and there was a guy who came to the church, and he dressed like Jesus. He rode a moped. I don't think Jesus had a moped, but he had sandals. He wore the long deal, had the long hair, and the elders go to the pastor and say, listen, this kind of guy is not the kind of guy we want on our church. I don't know what he's doing. He's dressing up, you know, he thinks he's Jesus. You, you need to tell him to go. He said, I'm not telling him to go. He may be Jesus. I'm not... <laughs> 
When the topic of grace comes up, listen, because I'll have some of this over the five weeks, there is complete division. Here's the division. It's either between those that think they're good or those that think they're bad. There's no middle ground. Here's the biggest conflict. Earn your righteousness by the law. Keep the law. So in Paul's day, one group says you've got to follow these laws first, uh, and then you can listen to the teachings of Jesus. Paul stood up. He argued against this. He debated with the elders of the church. He said we need a unified opinion of those who think they're good and those who think they're bad. There's not a middle ground. But it can change tomorrow because you, you may change your feelings from bad to good or good to bad tomorrow. You, you, you can move it around. And you can say, I'm a bad person, and i got evidence to prove it. Listen, good people and bad people need grace. And if you've already dismissed me because you've said in your mind that you're good enough, and you've already said in your mind you're so glad that the person on the other end of your row really needs to hear a message on grace because you're a good person and you don't need a message on grace, that's boasting. Paul said it's by grace that you've been saved, not by your works. Good people, good husbands, good wives, good moms, good people that go to work and they're going to work on time and they work hard and honest, that will not get you to heaven. And then you have people that are just rotten people. You know, they lie or they cheat or they they steal. They need grace too. The fact is all of us need grace. And, and, And here's the definition or an acronym that all of us have heard about grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. When you really catch grace, you will understand that you can have the riches of God in your life and Christ has paid for them all. So what I want to do in this message is really look at grace. Not cheap grace. Cheap grace, you have a license to sin. Cheap grace didn't cost you anything. You will never be free from sin until you really catch grace. If you have trouble with bondages, it's because you haven't really caught grace because grace will set you free from a bondage, from a hang-up. When you realize that God has already done something for you and all you have to do is believe is when you get freed. Listen, in my life, not one time in my life have I ever been motivated by the law to live a pure life. Why? Because I could never measure up to the law. It was grace that gives us the ability and the power to live a blameless, pure life before God. It is grace that liberates you. So I want to talk about God's riches at Christ's expense. So I'm going to go back to the text we've already read. Ephesians 2, 4. Look at this verse again. But, <coughs> excuse me. But because of great love, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Let me show you a couple words and phrases. First, rich. It seems obvious to say that God is rich. But unfortunately, many have defined God in purely monetary terms. That he's rich and he wants to give us a bunch of stuff. Listen, God is rich. He owns it all. But I think it'd be safe in saying that not one person listening to me came to God because they thought God had a lot of money. He's rich in mercy. Second word, look, mercy. All of us came to God because we realized he was rich in mercy God will never run out of mercy. He is the source because he is mercy. He doesn't possess it. It's the the attribute of mercy. He's the source of all mercy. And as long as God exists, there's an endless supply of an immeasurable amount of mercy. But God is mercy, and I need mercy. He's the source. He never runs out. So when I realize I needed mercy, and he's the only source of mercy, it's obvious I need God in my life. I need God in my life. Do you need mercy? Only place you're going to get it's God. 
And then another phrase in the next verse is riches in heaven. In, in Ephesians 2, 6, it says, And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God gives us access to all the riches of heaven. Not just the riches of his mercy, but the riches of heaven. And remember, this, this is not future tense, this is present tense. In other words, no matter how bad you are, no, no matter where you're from, how good you were, you became a believer in Christ, your citizenship changed. So watch, let me show you. When, when, when you and I travel to other countries, we have to obey the law of those countries. If you go to the American embassy in any country, and if you're invited into that embassy in a foreign country, but it's an American embassy, and you're on that piece of property, there you have the full rights of U.S. citizenship. How, how many of you were born in the United States? Hold your hand up. Okay. Are, are there any naturalized citizens here today? Anybody? Yes. One of our pastors is actually a naturalized citizen. See, they go through a naturalization process. And if you did that, welcome. We're glad you're here, by the way. I didn't have to do that. My parents were citizens. I was born in the U.S. I'm a citizen. But many had to go through a long process <clears throat> and then stand in front of a judge, <clears throat> raise your right hand, take an oath, and receive citizenship. So here's my question. When you finish taking that oath, do you have less rights or more rights than those of us who are born here? You have the same rights. Those of us born in the citizenship of the United States have rights, but those who took the naturalization process, you have the same rights as we do. Once you've taken the oath, you immediately have the full rights of citizenship. Now, we all know this process has been along for, for, around for a long time. So here's my question. Why is it so hard for us to believe that it's salvation no matter where you came from, no matter what your past, no, no matter what you've done, why is it at the moment of salvation we have the full rights of heaven at our disposal while we're on the earth, but we don't believe it? That's the ideal of grace. That's what grace does. It opens the door for you. It starts at salvation. Immediately the door's open, and you can have all the riches of heaven right here and right now, the peace of heaven, the power of heaven. All of heaven's resources are available well, we know they're available when we get to heaven, but some of us, we don't realize we have access to them right now. Paul said in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. So watch, you have the rights of heaven. The, there, there's are God's riches at Christ's expense. So when I start off with salvation, that's saving grace. But I also have access to sustaining grace. Why do I need sustaining grace? Because I'm living life every day. I'm raising kids. I'm going to work. I've got all this. So guess what? I need sustaining grace. When I understand that my citizenship is in heaven and I have access to all of those resources of God, I can do that. That's why Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God by work, not by works, so that no one can boast. In other words, listen... Grace is dependent. Re reading this passage shows us salvation by grace is completely dependent, watch, by how good God is to us, not how good we've been. Did you get it? 
It was a week. <laughs> Let me talk about me personally. Personally, I committed to living a holy, pure life before the Lord, free from the bondages of sin. This was how I was taught to, please, to live and to please God. But I had the wrong motivation for 40-something years. I, 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 was, I was trying to live this way with the wrong motivation. But guess what? My, my, my life wasn't holy and pure, blameless. In my mind, I'm constantly missing the mark. I'm frustrated. In my 40s, I begin to study, I begin to hear, I begin to seek, and I begin to understand Grace's message, and it hit me. My motivation to living a holy, pure, blameless life was wrong. Oh, I was committed, but the motivation for me was to row. And row and row and row. Never stop rowing, because that'll please God. And maybe when I stand before him with a list of how much I've done and worked and, and wrote, I can get into heaven. See, if you're committed to the same process of living a holy, pure, and blameless life, let me ask you, what is motivating you? Do you believe, do you completely believe on the fact that God has already been good to you and that the goodness of God is what's motivating you to do that? That's what motivates me now. It changed my heart. It changed my life when I realized I couldn't do enough good things to get grace. Now, I do believe in works, and good works are important. We'll talk about that in this series. But what is motivating your works? Is it to appease an angry God, or is it to send treasure forward to heaven? What's motivating you to do good works? Because I was constantly apologizing to God. And listen, if you live this life, this Christian life, and you're constantly apologizing to God, it's frustrating and it's a difficult thing. Because you run out of steam. You, you, you want to give up because you can't do enough. You're trying to be perfect. So listen to this statement. I'm going to follow it by a second statement. What you believe determines your eternal destination. What you believe in your heart determines your eternal destination. Now look at the next statement. After that, your works determine your rewards in heaven. Salvation is not dependent on our works. Salvation is dependent on what we believe. And for some of you, that you say, well, that sounds so simple. But listen, I'm convinced that many Christians don't know what they believe. They don't know why they believe it. And they can't tell others why they believe it. All they want to do is come in and worship and feel good. But when they get out where life goes on during the week, they really can't express it. They can't articulate it. Listen, if you want to win a lot, a lot of people to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to understand grace. You have to articulate grace. And most importantly, you have to demonstrate God's grace. People don't care about the name on a building. They don't care about a denomination. They don't care about any of that. That's not going to strike true. Most of them in our, in our southern Bible Belt area have been through that. They've tried all of that. And they're burned out and they're burned up. And it's like they're frustrated and they, they can't get it. But when they see it demonstrated, and, and listen, the demonstration comes naturally. In my, in my ministry, I've had several comrades in the ministry se several people that are in ministry call me and talk to me and they failed and they made mistakes and they did this and they did that 
And I didn't just, I, you know, I didn't go into the mode of, you know, crucifying them and killing them and taking them out and, and just destroying them and, and you know, all, you know, all of that. They told me later, when I first talked to you, I've never felt so much grace. I wasn't thinking grace. What was I doing? I was loving them. I was just trying to love on them. I was just trying to help them. They're human. They, I, that's all I was trying to do. Listen, that's what the world is like. People who don't know Jesus Christ. And they want somebody to love on them. Not stick a bony finger in their face and preach at them. They're not concerned about how religious you are. They're concerned about the God that's inside of you. And if it's demonstrated, they are attracted to you. If Ephesians 2 is true, and it is, it is by grace you've been saved, not by works. And if we're going to win people to God, we've got to tell them about Christ. Doesn't it make sense we understand grace? And listen, there are hundreds of people that all of us come in contact with collectively that would really love to hear the good news of the message of grace. They already think it's too good to be true. And they probably have already heard one thing. Yeah, well, I can pray this prayer and receive this grace and I can do anything I want to. Nothing changes in my life. That's called cheap grace. That's not real grace. And then they've already heard that, well, you can't do enough to get good things, you know, do enough good things to get to heaven. That's what all these Christians are doing or trying to do good. You ask the average person on the street, how do, you, how, how do you get to heaven? Well, you do good things. That's the mindset of most Americans. How do you get to heaven? You, well, you're doing more good than bad. Most people not, does, not serving God are convinced they have been so bad, done so many bad things that there's no way God could love them and embrace them. So they look around. They come into our buildings. They come into our campuses where we're here to worship. And we look nice. Some of you do. We look like we've got it together. Oh, yeah, think about the battle going on in their mind. And then they hear a sermon where you clap or you amen and you're engaged and they look at you and here you are in a church service and they're thinking, I I can't do that. It's like we're preaching to the choir and, and, and everybody they're comparing us and in their minds they're saying I, I can't do that I can't live like that I can't do it in their mind there's a battle going on I got good news for you listen to me if you're thinking like that it's not about your goodness right now it's, it's not about that right now if you want redemption and to know the love of God it's about what you believe and after that you can work on your behavior let me tell you how you work on your behavior grace motivates you to change your behavior did you hear me not a list of rules and do's and don'ts grace motivates you to change your behavior and and this is what we have to be able to explain to lost people it's not about your works or who you are or what you've done the only thing that matters is what you really believe I believe I told you last weekend then you repent it's grace that saves me, and I believe it's because of grace that I'm going to be in heaven. And all of this is at Christ's expense. It takes faith to believe that. That's what he said. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. It takes, watch, it takes faith to believe that it's the goodness of God, not our own goodness, that gets us to heaven. And many of us right now are wrestling in our minds. That sounds too good to be true, especially if you have a church background. And I don't care what denomination it is. If you've got a church background, you've got this wrestling in your mind. And if you stay in that mindset, here's what you will do. Or you'll continue to do some good works and you hope you get God's attention and make heaven. And you think, you would say to me, Pastor, I'm going to keep doing my good works because you don't know my story, you don't know my past, you don't know what I've done and thought. It takes faith to believe that grace is enough. Why? Because in our natural minds, 
we have to work for everything. We have to earn everything. That's what we've been taught. Or it doesn't get done. Right here in Alabama, in the Bible Belt, we have a more difficult time believing that something can be given to us without earning it. I do. It, it goes against the American idea. Because the ideal is that we, we can do it. Or, or, or it's by the sweat of your brow and the strength of your muscle. Well, yes, we needed that when people came here to settle this country, but you don't need that in the country of heaven. I appreciate the pioneer spirit, but it has nothing to do with the entrance to heaven. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. I believe that my name has been written in the book of life, and it's grace that set me free, and it's grace that motivates me to live right, not the law. The law keeps reminding me I'm a failure. I messed up last week. I messed up two months ago. I messed up last year. They just keep, I can never measure up. Therefore, Christ came, and through grace, I can be free, and now I can live a godly, pure, and blameless life. Can I I tell you what I'm concerned about in heaven? Can I I just be honest with you? We're family, right? I'm just be honest. I'm going to tell you what I'm concerned about in heaven. In my mind, in heaven, there's going to be a long, long line of people in front of God. You do know that each of you will give an account of your lives to God. You didn't know that? Yeah. So here's, I'm concerned there's going to be a whole bunch of people that haven't discovered grace, and they're in front of me in the line, and my concern is it's going to take forever to get in the gate. Oh, they're going to show up in heaven with this long list of good works qualifying them to get in, and then they're even going to read it off to God like he doesn't know. Lord, I can remember as far back. I've tried to do the right thing, even when I was five years old, Lord. I didn't take that toy. I want you to know I gave it back. I I felt bad about it. I did the right thing. They're going to go through this whole ridiculous list, and I'm in the back of the line impatient going my lord for the sake of the rest of us if you don't catch this revelation of grace would you please go to the back of the line and by the way for me when it when it comes my turn it's going to be like i don't know if you've been to disney and got the fast pass it's going to be like a fast pass i'm going to say lord jesus i don't know why i'm here i'm so grateful for the abundance of your riches of mercy and grace and i'm so grateful lord that you pursued me and found me i thank you for heaven i'm glad to be here thank you for sending jesus The gate's going to open, and you're going to hear him say, next. (laughs) So if you don't get this, don't get in front of me in heaven. Because I'm going to wave a flag and say, Lord, I taught them different. I taught them different. I'm going to be in heaven enjoying heaven. You're going to be standing over there reading some ridiculous list. I'm talking about redemption. Really understanding what gets you to heaven. It's what you believe not what you're doing and as I end I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you personally in your heart do you believe ask the Holy Spirit am I living my life governed by grace am I trying to earn my way to heaven by what I do because you're going to get an honest answer from the Holy Spirit are you convinced today you're going to heaven because of what you believe And then there's another group 
You're here, you're believing, but it's impossible for you to really be close to God because of your background. See, the enemy uses our past. God doesn't use our past. And the only way it can affect it, when the enemy brings up the past, the only way it can affect me is when I start thinking about it. So when he brings it up, don't think about it. Why? Because if you're a believer, it's under the blood. It's, it's in the past. But I believe there are people listening to me at all the campuses, at, at, at Holman, at Fountain, that, that they think that, that God's given up on them. They think because of their performance and behavior, they can never be close to God, never be intimate. And I, listen, I know there are horrible things that have happened, and you've made horrible mistakes, but that's why Christ came. That's why he came to you. Good people need grace. Bad people need grace. People with mistakes need grace. All of us need grace. And that's why Jesus was sent to pay for all these horrible things. Do you want to live your life with God? In other words, do you want to be able to approach God? Are you just like God's there and you just want to keep your head down, not pay attention to God and just hope he doesn't strike you? See, do you believe now that it's not about your goodness, but it's about God's goodness? See, if that's, if that's the easy, even though it sounds too good to be true, that's how you choose to live your life for Christ. I want to lead you in a prayer. But even before going into this prayer, in your mind, you're going to be battling. But if he's not Lord of your life, when you pray this prayer from your heart, you immediately become a citizen. And the richness in heaven, all those resources are ours on this earth. Because, listen, you, you become a spiritual person and you, because you have a, spirit, a spiritual existence now. And it changes just like that. Listen, you can hear all the sermons over and over and over again. You, you can quote this, you can do all of that. But until you have this experience inside that changes everything, at that moment, you pray this prayer, you become a citizen. You have the rights of heaven, not for here, but not just for here to access the riches, but to live there for eternity, forever and forever and forever. So I'm going to ask you, I'm just going to ask all of us, let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I confess today that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. A Savior to save me from my sins. And I believe, Lord, in my heart that Jesus Christ came to the earth and because of his death, burial and resurrection that all of my sins are paid for Lord I believe in my heart that you came for me and I receive the forgiveness of sins I choose today to live my life for you I thank you Lord that I'm now a child of yours and my citizenship is in heaven and I pray this in Jesus' name.